Hello and welcome back to the second ever episode of the To The Heights podcast. This is Olivia Colombo, and I'm a young Catholic changemaker, and I am so excited to be embarking on this project of sharing stories of the young people of the Catholic Church and those who minister to them. Our title, To The Heights, comes from the translation of the quote, Verso Lealto, by Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati, a 24-year-old student, mountain climber, and potentially soon-to-be saint, who gave his life to caring for the poor and vulnerable. His literal and spiritual mountain climbing is where the idea of ascending for the heights and reaching for the glory of God comes from. And through my own work in ministry and media, I have had the blessing of meeting so many young people with incredible stories and fire for Christ. And this platform is a place for us to share those authentic conversations and inspiring human beings. Last week, we sat down and chatted with my good friend and mentor, Michaela Hagar, who's a life teen youth minister. We heard about her story as a young Catholic living out faith in the real world and her job of bringing teens to Christ. This week, I had the absolute honor of speaking with someone who brings truth and life to teens and young adults in her role in pro-life ministry. I got involved in pro-life ministry in middle school and have been involved ever since. And I'm part of the pro-life generation, which is hundreds and thousands of teens and young adults who know that women deserve better than abortion, that life begins at conception. And as pro-life is not just limited to abortion, but rather it's about caring and restoring the dignity to all life at all stages. We want to care for all life from womb to tomb to the best of our abilities. This iteration of being pro-life is distinctly new, one born of turning passion into compassion and aimed at caring for every human life in a social justice manner. We are pro-life, pro-woman, pro-all human beings in all situations and pro-love in this day and age. All that being said, who better to talk to about the pro-life generation than our guest today, Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America. I had the joy of meeting Kristen when she gave a sold-out lecture at Boston College a few months ago. I was reporting on the event for a Catholic newspaper, and I'm a member of BC's Students for Life group. So I was thrilled to speak with Kristen then and get a sense of all of the amazing things she does as the national leader of Students for Life. As a Catholic convert, a mom, a speaker, and a fearless pro-life leader, Kristen is a role model to many. I was so honored to be able to talk to her, and I hope you learn from, get inspired, and enjoy listening to our conversation about her journey within the pro-life movement, what she's doing speaking at colleges right now, and her advice for young people on such a divided issue. Without further ado, here's Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America, and her story of reaching to the heights. Alright, so hello and welcome back to the To The Heights podcast. I'm at the Catholic TV studio in Watertown, Massachusetts, and I have a super exciting guest on the phone. I am overjoyed to have Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life of America here. Kristen, thank you so much for calling in. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Um, you gave a sold-out lecture at Boston College a couple of weeks or months ago now, I guess. Um, that was amazing, and I asked you then if you would be on, and I'm so grateful that you agreed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so 
like I was telling you a few minutes ago, the goal is just to have an authentic conversation about sharing stories of young people in the Catholic Church and people who are ministering that to them um, mm-hmm. to show people who are making change, inspiring people, or living authentically for the glory of God and reaching to the heights. And you and your story def- definitely fit that bill. Um, but I was wondering if you could briefly introduce yourself, where you're from, what your job is, um, and how long you've been doing it. Sure. Well, I'm the president of Students for Life America. I uh, became the first full-time um, president or, I guess, employee of the organization in August of 2006. Um, that is when we launched full-time um, across the country. That's awesome. Um, where are you from? I'm originally from northern West Virginia, uh, near Wheeling, West Virginia, actually actually not too far from Franciscan University of Zoomville. Um, and that's where I grew up. I spent a summer, uh, well, actually about six months down in Charleston, West Virginia, the southern part of the state, when I worked for President Bush's re-election campaign in 2004. And then I moved to Washington, D.C. after I graduated college uh, and lived there for several years before now moving across the country a few different times. Wow. So how did you, at what point did you get started in the pro-life movement? I got started in the pro-life movement when I was 15, um, and I was asked to volunteer, kind of be a volunteer intern um, at a pregnancy resource center in Zoomville, Ohio. A woman at my church was the part-time accountant, and she knew I was looking for volunteer opportunities. Um, and that's kind of how I got my start. I, You know, it's funny because I didn't really, you know, people ask me, like, did you know what you were um stepping into uh, when I when I walked into that pregnancy center, and no, I had no idea uh, what I was stepping into. I just, you know, I knew it was like this pro-woman center. I knew it had to be about abortion. I kind of, you know, I wasn't um, super confident in my beliefs about abortion. I think I would have said, yeah, I'm pro-life, but, uh, but I knew I wanted to help women, and, and that's why I, I walked into that center and started volunteering for them. Wow. So how did you go from there? How did you end up being president of Students for Life of America? Um, yeah, well, so I started volunteering the Pregnancy Center in the summer, uh, that, that summer, so I was 15, and that just changed my whole perspective of, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. What, going into that summer, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. I wanted to work for NASA. I had just won a state uh, scholarship. I was uh, the only the student representing the state of West Virginia at the National Space Camp for high school students. Uh, so, like, I had, like, plans, like, what I wanted <laughs> to do. And then... Um, Everything just changed. You know, I, I, I learned about, you know, really what was happening, the atrocity of abortion, how it was happening every single day, and yet no one was talking about it. Like, I was just, I remember that first day just walking out of the pregnancy clinic, you know, um, you know, they didn't want me to volunteer unless I knew about abortion. So the first, you know, week of my time, I just had to read every book I could read about abortion, about the effects of abortion on women and children, and how to, to offer help, right? Mm-hmm. And that just that just changed my entire perspective because I was like, why isn't anyone talking about this? You know, I had grown up, it was in an evangelical church that um, was very conservative, but really we never really talked about abortion. It wasn't talked about in my school. And I, I knew, like, I couldn't be quiet about this. Like, I, I was called to talk about abortion. And so that's kind of changed, you know, my whole perspective, my life plan, what I thought I was, you know, where I was going in my life. And so I spent that summer 
counseling women. The pregnancy center was phenomenal in training me and actually allowing me to to get right in there and train and counsel women who were coming to the clinic thinking abortion was their only option. And so I spent that summer and I went back to my high school for my final year and I started a pro-life group at my high school and I got involved with Republican the Republican political committee in my town because I saw politics as a way for me to make a difference. Um, you know, obviously the abortion issue isn't a political issue, it's a human rights issue. Yeah. But I did see that there was a way through passing laws that I could make a difference in my state. And so I got involved uh, with the the political realm, I guess you could say, and that's um, what got me started. I went to college and I started a pro-life group, and uh, that's why I ended up interning for President Bush's re-election campaign, Mm -hmm. and that's how I ended up in Washington, D.C. after I graduated. So uh, one thing kind of led to another, but it, it was interesting to see the plan that God had for my life was completely different than the plan I thought I was going to have. True, very true. And I can understand. So I actually, I think I've told you this before, um, but I was planning on studying aerospace engineering. Um, and then I actually came into BC as a physics major, and oh, now great. I'm a theology major. Yeah, um, there you go. Which I think is interesting. But I've always wanted to ask you, um, do you think that your background in science, because I think I, I would answer yes, but do you think having a background and interest in science um, led into being pro-life and being an activist? Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, I had an interest in science and mathematics, um, but I just, honestly, I saw it as a human rights issue. Mm. You know, why, why is it that this is happening 2,600 times a day, 2,700 times a day, and no one's talking about it? Like, I, I just, I had this very strong, you know, I've always had this very strong feeling of, of seeking justice, um, for for those who can't, you know, who are vulnerable, right, or for those who are being victimized, yeah. um, and so I think that's what what spoke to me so much was um, there is a whole class of persons who are being victimized every day and no one's talking about it and somebody has to speak up for them and it sh- you know if somebody has to speak up for them why shouldn't it be why shouldn't it be me yeah true the, i guess that's the true mentality of an activist right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah do you ever find it overwhelming i think i don't know when i i remember when i was first getting into the pro-life movement finding it overwhelming especially when you take a step back from just the issue of abortion and look at other pro-life issues of euthanasia and um physician assisted suicide and get like super overwhelmed um by how much like how many people are being victimized every single day like do you have a way of keeping that in check it is i mean it is it's very overwhelming when you think about it um and you think about the enormity of of the problem um, I get overwhelmed regularly of just how much there is to do, right? Yeah. Um, how much more we have to do to reach our goal of abolishing abortion. Um, that's something I think about all the time of when I'm trying to prepare for the day that rose overturned. Like, are we ready? Is, is the nation ready? What, what do we need to offer to women? You know, what can we be ready to do? Yeah, that's so true. I One of my first pro-life mentors, um, who actually got her theology degree at BC School of Theology, and that's where I met her, she um, she used to say that 
as the pro-life movement, our job doesn't start now. It actually starts for real the day that Roe is overturned. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because we're exactly going right. to, we have to be the ones opening, like, all of these homes and clinics and, like, all of these resources. Like, we have to be ready for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your role as president, which is super cool. <laughs> and I'm very honored that you're talking to me. As someone who's gotten the emails for so long from Students for Life all throughout high school, um, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I started a, a group, a pro-life group at high school, in my high school, and that was, that was a challenge, as you can imagine, and as, as I'm sure you've experienced. Um, but I'm so glad to be in a real Students for Life group at BC, and you got to see a little bit of that craziness and wonderfulness at PC. <laughs> um, but I wanted to ask you about what does your daily life look like as president? What are your actual roles and responsibilities? Well, you know, I think it's, you know, depending on organizations, roles of presidents can be different. I have some friends who run organizations that are very hands-off with the day-to-day of their organization and are purely fundraisers or purely spokespersons. Um, it's a little different with Students for Life because I was the first full-time employee of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so every, you know, position we've hired for, I've done that job at some point, right? Yeah. Um, I was the accountant and the HR manager and the field representative and the spokesperson and the fundraiser. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had to do all of those jobs. I've hired people, and I have. we have an amazing team at Students for Life. Like, that's our strength, right, is our team, is our yeah. people. We have an amazing team now where I've been able to go and hire people to to do jobs that I once did. Um, so my role is constantly shifting in students' life. My what I work on day to day, there'll be and there's periods of time where I have to step into one division uh, and spend more time at that one division than I do other uh, other other divisions of students' life. I would say that. My day-to-day is very scattered. I spend time thanking supporters, contacting supporters, asking for support of a, of a project we're launching. I spend other time building alliances with other national pro-life organizations, pitching uh, partnership opportunities for ways we can work together or you know, use our different niches to kind of get out a certain message. Um, I spend a lot of time on the phone uh, with reporters, right, and doing yeah. interviews and writing. Um, we're also writing to our supporters. Um, and then I also spend a lot of time strategizing of where we should go, um, where we, what, what we need to be commenting on, what's our new new project. Um, so I spend a lot of time with our communications team of, we need a video on this. We need to tweet out this response. Let's write our op-ed on this trending topic that I'm seeing coming up. Um, so not that that's one of the things I love about, you know, I hate to call this a job because it's really a mission, but, that, you know, the quote-unquote job, the day-to-day, one of the things I love about um, my position is that it gives me the flexibility to always be doing something different. Um, no one day is ever the same. Wow, yeah, that that just sounds super exciting. And I love saying it's not a job, it's a mission. That's a really good oh, way to look at yeah. it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. If you think of this, if you if you come to work for Students for Life, and we've got about 50 employees now, and if you think of this as a job, you will get burned out mm-hmm. um, because it's a job that never ends, right? Um, you could do something really great today in one state, and then the next 
next day everything you worked for has been stripped away. Um, or you could spend your time starting a new Students for Life group and then six months later go by and figure find out that the person you trained has walked away from the group and you have to restart your effort. So um, I think you have, you have to have that mentality working in this movement that this is a mission uh, and this is what you're called to. This is, this is your calling. Um, and, I, you know, I love that quote from Mother, I think it was a Mother Teresa quote, it's like, you're not called, you know, to be successful, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're called to stand, right? And you're, you're, I think that's a Mother Teresa quote. Yes, I actually is. have it somewhere on a post-it note. I put quotes on post-it notes around my office. But um, I, I love that. I always think about that because in the midst of the defeats that you have, um, uh, you know, you can always see that you're called to keep moving forward. Um, and we're called, you know, to keep witnessing that truth no matter what the day-to-day might look like, and that gives me the motivation to keep going. I'm also highly competitive. I get asked a lot by people, like, um, you know, how don't you get burnout? Doesn't the pro-life movement have a big burnout rate? And I think it does. Like, I, yeah. I believe that if I worked every day in a pregnancy resource center, I'd be burnout because it, that's very difficult for me to be having those day-to-day discussions with women who are right there on the brink, right? Yeah. Um, I, and I think, I, I think what you have to find is where's your niche? What, what gives you energy to keep moving forward? And that's what's so awesome about the pro-life movement is that there's a lot of different places for you as an individual to get involved. You're, you're calling may not be praying in front of the abortion facility. It might be behind the scenes doing fundraising. You know, it, it, just find out where is your passion? What gives you energy to keep moving forward? Um, I think it helps if you're a competitive person. Like I said, I'm a competitive person, so I want to win. Um, and and that's, what, that's what drives me day to day. It's like, I want to know I'm winning. And if I don't feel like I'm winning, I'm going to figure out why I'm not winning and try to correct mm-hmm. course. Awesome. Yeah. I, I like saying that everyone has a different role where they're comfortable because I have plenty of friends who are not comfortable praying in, in front of a clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be discouraging or they can feel like they don't have a place in the movement. But I guess it's yeah. important to remind them that there is a place. It doesn't have to be. Everyone doesn't have the same role. That's right. And I think that's important. That, I think it's very important for people to understand that because, um, you know, like I, my place is not praying in front of the abortion facilities. I get a an upset stomach. I do it. I force myself to go out and pray in front of abortion facilities, especially when I'm traveling in different communities, but that's not where I'm called to be. Um, and that's okay. And I, and I think that's one of the things that we try to really pitch through the Students for Life groups on chapters and, and campuses is that, you know, there's five, we, we call it the five pillars of pro-life activism. And there's different ways. And your Students for Life group should be engaged in all these five pillars because that's going to make you a well-rounded group. That's going to make sure that not only are you doing advocacy against abortion, but you're also providing tangible support services right there on your campus, right? Yeah. It's going to make you get involved in all the different aspects. And it's going to help your members and help other pro-lifers on campus see that there, there's a place for them. If your if you're pro-life group only goes and prays um, in front of abortion facility, you're only going to ever recruit people who feel called to that ministry. True. Very true. Yeah. So actually, my next question was going to be about diversity of projects. Um, I wanted to hear from you. I don't know. I've been a part of pro-life groups that have done all sorts of campaigns, and I I think we could all do more to make sure that everyone feels included, especially on a very diverse campus, that everyone has a spot for them in that group. Um, But to kind of give us an idea of what you've been involved with, do you have a favorite pro-life project that you've ever worked on or a favorite campaign um, that you've done? Sure. 
Um, this is hard for me uh, because I don't, um, what they call at the office, they say I don't celebrate victories. <laughs> I don't celebrate mm. wins. Like, we do something great and I'm, like, on to the next yeah. project. So it's really hard for me to, like, look back to remember all the amazing things we've done at Students for Life. And there's been amazing Holy Spirit things and it's, they're incredible. Um, I w- I'll probably give you a more recent one because it's just one I remember. Um, our Socket to PP tour oh, yes. that we did, we collected and we asked pro-lifers across the country to send in baby socks, one sock for every child, Planned Parenthood aborts. And we dumped those socks uh, on Capitol Lawn. We had a rally with Sarah Palin, other national leaders, um, calling on Congress to defund Planned Parenthood. This was right when the 2016 presidential campaign was kind of getting uh, underway. And then we took those socks to cities across the country and brought them in front of key senators' offices. And and we've actually now started taking some of them to college campuses. It's kind of a logistical problem trying to take mm-hmm. all those baby socks to yeah. college campuses. Um, but it's I, I love it because it's it's a representation, um, a powerful representation of the tragedy of abortion. No one, I was standing on the corner um, right in front of the Capitol when we were unloading the truck of these socks to dump them on the Capitol lawns. And we had to have students who were volunteering had to move all the boxes. And I, I volunteered to be the person just watching them. <laughs> um, and the people who were passing by us were shocked. They're like, what are these socks for? What, what do these socks do? And I said, oh, well, every sock here represents a child that's going to be aborted today by plan, uh, Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this box here is just today. This whole truck is this year. And people's mouths dropped. It didn't matter their background. It didn't matter where they um, – where they came from, um, this this was this was shocking to them, right? Because Americans they don't like abortion. Mm-hmm. They like to think of abortion as rare. When you show Americans that abortion is not rare, they get upset. They they don't know really how to handle it. That's why no one that's why no one likes to talk about abortion. So when we do a cemetery of innocence display on campus, it gets it gets vandalized um, because. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to be forced to think that we're actually being complicit in this tragedy. So when you show people the reality of abortion, that it's not rare, that's happening 26, 2,700 times a day, and, oh, yeah, that entity that's receiving half a billion dollars in taxpayers every year commits a third of all abortions, 330,000 of them. They're the largest abortion vendor in the world. Um, that's significant. Yeah, yeah. That makes me think about um at the beginning of your your college tour talk like you demonstrate somewhat what an abortion actually looks like or one type um and that's really powerful for people to actually confront the reality of what it looks like and what it is yeah and did you notice people looked away yes yeah people like put their heads down or they look to the side pro-choice people there who were there to protest me right or to ask me hard questions um yeah. No one wants to confront the reality. Uh, there was an article written yesterday um, about uh, new terminology in the pro-life movement. There were three terms that they came up with uh, that they thought were, like, you know, not good for the pro-choice movement. Two of them our team came up with. One is heart attack abortions, talking mm-hmm. about when digoxins inserted into these babies uh, who could survive outside of the womb, it's the, you know, inserted to their heart, causes cardiac arrest, i.e. a heart attack. Yeah. Um, also talking about RU46. 
six abortions. When, you know, women are told to sit on the toilet and flush, not to look, we call them toilet seat abortions. And um, it was interesting with this, this author, this pro-choice author, is, you know, saying, well, thank goodness this isn't, this isn't taken in effect, that people, ha- you know, it hasn't really seemed to catch on yet because we just started using these terms. But it's funny because when I use those terms on campuses, people are like, you're being inflammatory. <laughs> you know, that's not scientifically correct. I'm like, well, can you tell me what happened? Yeah. Um, why, why can't I say what actually happens during an abortion? Why can't I actually talk about that? Yeah, yeah. And it was very powerful. Um, I did want to ask you about your college speaking tour. Um, I know we've talked about it before because I reported for The Torch about when you came to BC. Um, but would you like to tell me a little bit about when your college speaking tour started um, and kind of what it's been like this spring? Um, sure. My college tour started two years ago, um, and it was really in a, uh, just to get back onto campuses. I hadn't been spending a lot of time on college campuses as students' life grew, and yet I knew there, there really needed to be more provocative speakers on campuses because our biggest challenge we, we often have on campuses is that no one wants to talk about abortion. It's not, it's not anything that the left wants to address. And so we have to force this conversation. Um, so we did. We we came up with a provocative title, Lies Feminists Tell. Um, and and so it, it's really, I mean, people get mad, right, oh, yes. because there's identity politics that comes into play, and they're like, I'm a feminist, you're calling me a liar. Um, and so it gets people talking. If we, if we would have titled, you know, a talk, you know, things we don't like about abortion or here come, you know, abortion is a human rights violation. People don't, won't, come, won't come hear it because they don't want to be challenged about their abortion views because ultimately at the end of the day, people know that they're wrong. We've been, we're doing a $450,000 research study right now uh, m- with mushy middle, so middle-of-the-road millennial women, 20, 29-year-olds, mm-hmm. about how they view abortion. And it's fascinating that all of these women we're interviewing in, in these 75-minute to 90 minute qualitative research study kind of um, interviews, they all admit abortion kills a human being. They refer to the fetus as a baby, yeah. um, but then they say, well, but it still should be legal. And so um, no one really wants to confront their views because they, they know they're being inconsistent. Um, and so, yeah, we started the tour, um, I think, fall of 2017. Uh, was kind of the first kind of tour I did, or I went to a few schools. Every camp, every semester now I'm going to about seven to ten schools, depending on my schedule, um, speaking about the lies feminists tell, which are um, these lies of mainstream second-wave feminism that our generation's been duped into believing. And um, it gets a lot of people talking on campuses, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I actually, you came to BC, and it was amazing, and it got very important conversations started, um, but there obviously was some, there was a protest of the, spe- the speech, and sure, sure. It, it got very interesting, but I actually got a chance to talk to some of my friends, pro-life and pro-choice, um, who had unanswered questions afterwards, and I have some of those questions here, um, sure. if you'd like to answer them. So, there was a little bit, there was actually a very important conversation that came out of that, in response to that one student who asked a question and um, in the days and weeks afterwards kind of blew up in different pro-life news sources. I believe, didn't you go on a news station about that question? Yeah, Laura Ingram show. Right. Um, and people were asking the question, which I think is very, it, is very wise, um, kind of how do you 
always remember to be kind and gentle. Remembering that the pro-choice person is your brother or sister while still standing firm in the truth. Like how far is too far with taking, like that girl was still a person and like is still, is still young too and like developing her thoughts. But she said something that the pro-life, that is wrong. (laughs) Like it's not truth. Like a baby is a baby. Um, And I don't know, how do you remember to treat them with compassion and also stand firm in the truth. How do you deal with cases like that? Well, um, my job when I'm on campuses is to speak truth. And I know I'm going to speak truth in a way that um, people don't want to hear it. So often students come up and they'll have pre-written questions. Even before they heard my talk, they they wrote questions down for what they're going to ask me. Um, and so honestly, most of the time when you hear pro-choice people asking questions, um, I think what, what pro-lifers need to understand is sadly those people actually aren't ready to hear your response. Response mm-hmm. um, because they've already come teed up to oppose you, and so they're not going to be open to um, digesting the information you're giving them. Like I believe conversion is belong, believe, behave. That's how you make activists for any cause. That's how you evangelize people into any faith. It's belong, believe, behave. And so when you have people coming who've already said that they oppose you, that you're dangerous for coming on campus, um, that you're, you're being there is triggering, they're not really going to hear what you have to say. Um, so the, the, my point and my goal really in most of those presentations is to speak to the rest of the audience, um, to point out to the rest of the audience the logical fallacies um, that the other side is promoting. And that that one girl, I'm not going to change her mind because she didn't like me when she got up, got up there. She saw me as an you know, extremist or whatever she wants to call me. Mm-hmm. But what she did and what I was able to point out in, in questioning her was I changed minds and she changed minds in the audience. Right. In fact, she probably changed more minds than things I said because I was able to use her words and point out to the rest of the audience there. I really wish there would have been a, we could have filmed the audience reaction to those questions yeah. because there were pro-choice people. And I, I, could, I can tell pretty quickly when I'm speaking to an audience who's with me and who's not, who's actually pro-choice and kind of just like figuring it out. Those people in the audience who were just like figuring it out and who are actually genuinely interested into like having an open mind, their eyes got super wide mm-hmm. when I got her to actually admit what the pro-choice movement is about. Yeah, yeah, that was a very powerful moment. Um, and also another moment I wrote down is right at the end of the talk, I think pretty much every question was... Pro-choice, a pro-choice person asking, yep. mm-hmm. except for the last question, um, mm-hmm. which is actually one of my closest friends, and she got a little teary and choked up because she was distressed at the whole situation and like how heated and how confused everyone in the room was. Um, and she asked, um, "How do you deal with all of the hate? Like, what's your advice for keeping strong?" And I think that's sure. a question I want to reiterate as well. Well, I mean. Honestly, like, pro-choice hate, pro-abortion hate doesn't bother me. I actually get more distressed, more upset when it's people who are supposed to be Christians mm-hmm. or, you know, and are supposed to be pro-life that become mean and angry. Those are the people that bother me most. And then with working within the pro-life movement, that's actually one of the biggest challenges is uh, pro-lifers having different tactics and strategies for ending abortion. And if they disagree with your tactic or strategy, then they call into question your actual motives. 
Uh, and that, to me, has been that I have found in the 13 years I've been doing this full time. That, to me, has been the most distressing thing. Um, it doesn't bother me that people hate me for speaking the truth because I, I'm, I know what the truth is in my heart, right? And intellectually, I know what the truth is. Yeah. And I realize, like, when I'm presenting information on a college campus like that, I've, I've used a title that's obviously going to make people mad at the get-go. So they're just going to hate me just from nothing else than yeah. the title of my speech. Um, and I'm, they're going to get mad because I'm calling into question their worldview. And what I'm, what I'm asking them to do is to be open-minded and to change something about the way they're thinking. And it's not just the way they're thinking. It's not just an intellectual argument about the death penalty or something else that doesn't really affect most people. Mm-hmm. This is an argument that affects everyone because especially when you're talking about a college campus, you have, you know, the majority of students engaging in premarital sex. They're engaging in premarital sex, and they've had to think about what will happen if my girlfriend gets pregnant, what will happen if I get pregnant. And what you're telling them when you're saying abortion should be illegal, when you're, what you're telling them when you say, hey, do you know these hormonal birth control pills you've been put on are actually really bad for your body, is you're, you're making them examine their whole life and the way they live their life, and you're challenging the way they live their life. And that's a really hard thing to do, right? Um, even if they want to be with us on the issue of abortion, if they're, you know, if someone converts to being pro-life, then they have to start reevaluating other choices and other decisions they've had to make in their life. So it doesn't bother me that they hate me um, because at the end of the day, like I said, I know I know who I am. I know why I'm called to do what, I, what I'm called to do, and I know that I'm right. Um, and if you want to hate me for speaking truth, that is your, that is on you. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Beautiful answer. <laughs> awesome. So I think we have to wrap up in a second. Yes. Um, but do you have, what, what are you working on currently? And do you have anything coming up next that listeners should keep an eye out for? Yeah, I've got a podcast I just launched explicitly pro-life. Uh, you can you know, download it on iTunes. You can also subscribe on YouTube. It's, it's a, we videotape it as well. Love to get more people um, listening to that. I'm, I'm talking a, a lot. You know, my, one of my most recent ones was what does a post-Royal America look like? Um, this is a subject that everyone's talking about. Uh, we'll be on tour on campuses this, this fall discussing what a post-Royal America looks like. Um, because this is this is this is coming, and the reality is Roe is going to be overturned very soon. Um, there's a you know been a number of cases uh, you know that have gone to the Supreme Court. We're waiting on Supreme Court reaction to. Numerous states have passed very restrictive or not all out abortion bans this this spring. We are pre- we are preparing for a post Roe America, um, and so this is this is something we're going to be talking about more and more and more. And actually, I think in the fall for my my speeches on campuses, my tour, I think I'm going to be talking about um, uh, why we need both genders to abolish abortion, um, why we need men involved as well. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that will get a lot of reaction when claiming there's only two genders and then also mm-hmm. saying why men should be involved in this fight. Yeah, that, that will definitely be interesting. Yeah, so, I highly, highly recommend the podcast. I've been watching the videos. They're very good. Good, good. Yeah, awesome. All right, so do you have one last piece of advice that you would give to young Catholics regarding being pro-life and being strong? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's stand up. Stand up. Don't be afraid. Um, you know, you'll, you'll hear a lot of really good 
talking points from the pro-abortion movement. Um, but you know natural law, and you know who we were created by and what we were created for, and that every single person has value and has dignity, and that means you're called to speak up for those who have no voice. Mm, yes, that's beautiful. All right, well, thank you so, so much for calling in. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you again for coming to BC and talking to me then. Um, that definitely was a very pit- pivotal moment for many students at BC. So Great. thank you so much. Awesome. Well, I hope to get back. Thanks. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the To the Heights podcast. And a huge thank you to Kristen Hawkins for making the time to talk to me both when you visited Boston College and now. Thank you for helping the pro-life generation find our voice. Thank you for all that you do. You can find both Students for Life of America and Kristen Hawkins on all social media, and be sure to follow along to see her brand new podcast, Explicitly Pro-Life. Be sure to tune in next week for a guest and a friend who I'm so very excited to share with you. But until then, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at ToTheHeightsCTV, or find me at OliviaRose underscore art or OliviaRoseArt.com. Talk to you next week, and keep on reaching to the heights. (laughs) 